Peace be upon you. So David was one of the prophets of God, and we are informed that God gave him the Psalms. In Surah 38 of the Quran, it recalls an incident where David rendered judgment regarding two brothers and their sheep. Before the reasoning for the dispute are discussed, the verse provides details about the authority, the blessing, and the wisdom God bestowed upon David. In Surah 38, verse 17 through 20, we read, Be patient in the face of their utterances and remember our servant David, the resourceful. He was obedient. We committed the mountains in his service, glorifying with him night and day. Also, the birds were committed to serve him. All were obedient to him. We strengthened his kingship and endowed him with wisdom and good logic. These verses provide us some background to the character of David, that not only did God bless him with kingship, but he also put the mountains and the birds at his service. And in addition to that, he was also given wisdom and good logic. The Arabic phrase for the expression that is translated as good logic is wafasla al-khitab. Fasl means to be detailed or decisive in judgment. And this is also the same root as the word fusilat, which is the 41st surah of the Quran, which is also translated as detail. The word al-khitabi comes from the same word as khutbah. This is the sermon that someone gives during the Friday prayer. And this word al-khitabi, it means speech or argument, not in the sense of arguing, but in the sense of making a point or reasoning. So we can understand that this expression, wafasla al-khitabi, that it means that David had not only a wisdom, but he also had good logic, good reasoning, good argumentation. And this is important in the following verses. In the next verse in Surah 21, we read about the incident. It says, have you received the news of the feuding men who sneaked into his sanctuary? The fact that God is pointing out that these individuals snuck into his sanctuary is shedding light that they didn't just go to the front door, pound to get in, that there was a mechanism, a reason for doing this. The Arabic word that is translated as they snuck, as in they snuck into a sanctuary, is atasawarua. And this word comes from the same root as surah, which is a chapter of the Quran. And what this word signifies is that this is a barrier or something that's a whole as a unit of its own. And uh, it's also the word for a bracelet in Arabic, because a bracelet is a full circle. So another meaning of this root that uh, this derives from is to scale or climb a wall. So you can think of it as so far that there is this perimeter around where David is residing. And these individuals, they climbed up this wall to bypass, you can think of his defenses, in order to enter what is the next word, which is sanctuary. And this comes from the Arabic word al-mihrab. This word can also constitute a prayer chamber, as well as the highest place in a building. We can understand that this is a place that David felt secure and at peace, not a place of conflict or danger. So we have this situation. We have David who has good logic, good reasoning, good argumentation in speech. And uh, we have him in a sanctuary, in a high elevated place. And a group of feuding men 
they scaled these walls. They snuck into his place of uh, peace, his place of sanctuary, and they presented him with a predicament that they were having. And it reads in Surah 38, verse 22, it says, When they entered his room, he was startled. They said, Have no fear. We are feuding with one another, and we are seeking your fair judgment. Do not wrong us and guide us in the right path. This brother of mine owns 99 sheep, while I own one sheep. He wants to mix my sheep with his, and he continues to pressure me. The Arabic expression uh, for to pressure me is The literal translation of this verse is that he overpowered me or prevailed against me in speech or argument. Notice this uh, expression uses the exact same word that God bestowed upon David when he said he had good logic. It uses the same Arabic word al-khitab. And this is significant because this is a quality that David is having. And now this brother is saying that, look, my brother with 99 sheep, he also possesses this quality and he's using it to overpower, to prevail against me. So what is this one brother to do? Not only does his brother have more wealth than he does, he's also clearly better at articulating his reasoning and his argument, and he's overpowering and he's prevailing against him to the point that the only recourse he felt he had was that he had to sneak into David's sanctuary, present this case before him, and allow David to render a right judgment for this event. It continues in Surah 38, verse 24, where we hear David's judgment. He says, He is being unfair to you by asking to combine your sheep with his. Most people who combine their properties treat each other unfairly, except those who believe and work righteousness. And these are so few. So far, David's judgment appears sound. It even corresponds with the verses of the Quran. In Surah 4, verse 29, it reads, O you who believe, do not consume each other's properties illicitly. Only mutually acceptable transactions are permitted. So it doesn't matter what the reasoning was, how good of an argument the brother with 99 sheep had. If the person with one sheep wasn't having it, didn't want to combine theirs, it was their right to stick with their one sheep and not mix their properties. And if we continue on Surah 38, verse 24, the second part, it says, He thought that we were testing him. He then implored his Lord for forgiveness, bowed down, and repented. What was it that he was being tested on? What was it that he repented for? And it continues in 38, 25 through 26. It says, We forgave him in this matter. We have granted him a position of honor with us and a beautiful abode. O David, we have made you a ruler on earth. Therefore, you shall judge among the people equitably, and do not follow your personal opinion, lest it diverts you from the way of God. Surely those who stray off the way of God incur severe retribution for forgetting the day of reckoning. God tells David not to follow his personal opinion. The Arabic word for this is hawa which means one's desires, whims, or put another way, actions where someone takes without much thought or consideration. But what does this have to do with David's judgment? 
Recently, I started rereading the Bible from cover to cover. My motivation was that God tells us in the Quran that these previous scriptures were also full of guidance and light at one point. We read in Surah 5, verse 44 through 47, it says, We have sent down the Torah containing the guidance and light. Ruling in accordance with it were the Jewish prophets as well as the rabbis and the priests, as dictated to them in God's scripture and is witnessed by them. Therefore, do not reverence human beings, you shall reverence me instead, and do not trade away my revelations for a cheap price. Those who do not rule in accordance with God's revelations are the disbelievers. It continues in Surah 5 verse 46, it reads, Subsequent to them, we sent Jesus, the son of Mary, confirming the previous scripture, the Torah. We gave him the gospel containing the guidance and light, and confirming the previous scriptures, the Torah and augmenting its guidance and light, and to enlighten the righteous. The people of the gospel shall rule in accordance with God's revelations therein. Those who do not rule in accordance with God's revelations are the wicked. So God is telling us that the previous scriptures, the one given to uh, the children of Israel in the uh, Jewish prophets, uh, in the Torah, or the Injil given to Jesus, that these confirm one another and they also are full of guidance and light. And it continues in Surah 5, verse 48, about the purpose of the Quran, where the Quran is here to uh, confirm and supersede the previous scriptures. It reads, Then we reveal to you this scripture truthfully, confirming previous scriptures and superseding them. You shall rule among them in accordance with God's revelations, and do not follow their wishes if they differ from the truth that came to you. For each of you we have decreed laws and different rights. Had God willed, he could have made you one congregation, but he thus puts you to the test through the revelations he has given each of you. You shall compete in righteousness. To God is your final destiny, all of you. Then he will inform you of everything you disputed. The Arabic word for the word that is translated as supersedes, as in the Quran supersedes the previous scriptures, is wamuhayminan. The meaning of this word is one who guards determines the truth, or that which overrides and protects. This word comes from the root which has the derivative meaning of a bird who expands their wings over its chicks. This is similar to the function of the Quran. Not only does the Quran confirm the previous scriptures, but it also protects and it overrides what is in the previous scriptures such that the history that is depicted in the previous scriptures, the miracles of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the uh, uh, miracles of Jesus, the Gospel, these are confirmed via the Quran, but also that the Quran supersedes, it corrects any disputes that come up between these two revelations. That if someone reads something in the uh, Bible that contradicts what's in the Quran, that it's our duty that we follow what's in the Quran. Because these previous scriptures, uh, despite originally being the revelations of God, have been tampered with. And if you study the Bible, you realize that there's a lot of details that are often incorrect um, that are clarified in the Quran. And I'll give some simple examples. For instance, the uh, modern Bible claims that it was Isaac who Abraham was going to sacrifice as opposed to Ishmael, which is depicted in the Quran. Or that Aaron was the one who created the molten calf for the children of Israel as opposed to the Sumerian. Or that Solomon died as a disbeliever. Now we know these accounts to be untrue because we have the truth in the Quran. 
Nevertheless, there are certain angles that the Bible covers that presents the verses of the Quran in a light that without this knowledge can be missed. And this doesn't mean that you need the Bible to understand the Quran, but again, it gives a perspective that oftentimes might be overlooked. We know that the Quran was revealed for the people of the scripture, Jews and Christians, as the final testament and the source that clarifies much of these matters that they still dispute today. In Surah 16 verse 64 it reads, We have revealed this scripture to you to point out for them what they dispute and to provide guidance and mercy for people who believe. God even tells the recipients of the Quran to ask those who received the previous scripture if they have any doubt about what was revealed to them in the Quran. In Surah 10 verse 94 it reads, If you have any doubt regarding what is revealed to you from your Lord, then ask those who read the previous scripture. The truth has come to you from your Lord. Do not be with the doubters. God is giving us a way to eliminate our doubt that these stories we're reading in the Quran, that they have foundations in the Bible uh, from places that, you know, they were not accessible to the prophet when these revelations came. So the history and lessons that is in the Quran can also be found in the previous scriptures. But there is a tendency that while the general theme of the Bible is mostly correct, it misses some of these details like the one specified before. That said, when reading the Bible, I noticed a story about David that I didn't associate with the Quran before. And without going into the specific details about the background, because I don't find that supported in the Quran, what I want to do is give a general background of the situation, and specifically David and this judgment. So in the second book of Samuel, chapter 11, David, who has already been king and very wealthy, he desired something very precious from someone else who is not a person of high status. And in the Bible, when the prophet Nathan heard about this, he asked David for his opinion regarding a dispute that he was arbitrating. It reads in the second book of Samuel, starting from chapter 12, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in a city, the one wealthy and the other poor. The wealthy man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing at all except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nurtured, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat scraps from him and drink from his cup and lie in his lap, and was like a daughter to him. Now a visitor came to the wealthy man, and he could not bring himself to take any animal from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. So he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, that man who has done this certainly deserves to die. So he must make restitution for the lamb four times over, since he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, You, David, yourself are the man. That is a mic drop moment. In case you missed it, what just took place here was that Nathan was describing a metaphor for David. He was creating this fictitious scenario of two individuals, one rich who had everything, and one poor who only had this one object that he loved and nurtured. 
and the one who is rich who is bestowed with many blessings. Rather than going and taking something from his own herd, he went and confiscated that one you from this poor individual in order to do his own bidding. What Nathan saw in David was that the judgment he was rendering was not the correct judgment, that he was coveting what someone else had, despite all the blessings God gave him. And rather than being forthcoming with David and reasoning with him and providing him the the, the, the proofs to not to think in that manner, what he did is he provided him a story in order for David to be able to render an unbiased judgment, but that judgment really applied for himself. Oftentimes, the best way to apply a lesson to our own life is by removing ourselves from the equation. When we judge ourselves, oftentimes we are incapable of removing our personal interests and biases so that we can equitably judge between right and wrong. By applying a judgment to another party where we have no personal stake in the outcome typically removes our bias. But the hope is not that we end the process there. For a wise person like David knows that the lesson should also be applied to our own lives as well. And when we realize that we are judging in one manner towards others while not applying that same judgment towards ourselves, then it is the behavior of someone who is foolish. And David did not possess that quality. David realized that he's applying a judgment towards someone else that had a mechanism of self-reflection for him to use to judge in his own affairs. This is one of the criticisms in the Quran towards the children of Israel. In Surah 2 verse 44 it reads, Do you exhort the people to be righteous while forgetting yourselves? Though you read the scripture, do you not understand? Notice that the word translated as exhort is atta maruna. The word amru means to command or order. Therefore, these people are commanding others to be righteous, but not applying that same order towards themselves. So let's take a look back at the context of David in this scenario, in the specific language God used to paint this incident. God informs us that David was bestowed with wisdom and good logic and reasoning. One of the challenges people who are smart face is that they deceive themselves with their own narratives, their own logic that they can convince themselves of almost anything. So how do you bypass someone of high intelligence from having these defense mechanisms uh, pop up to nullify any argument that uh, they're faced with? The way is to secretly overcome their defenses and supplement an idea into their head before it is detected. Now notice that David in this scenario, he's inside his sanctuary. He is fortified. These individuals secretly scale over his walls to come into his sanctuary, his place where he has contemplation, where he feels secure. And then at that point, they present to him this predicament. And it's at that point that he can view this in a clear lens because they bypassed his defense mechanism. And what's interesting is that the word mehrab, it's not only the uh, sanctuary or prayer chamber, but it's also the highest place typically within a building. 
And the significance of that is you think you have these ideas locked up in your head. You have these defense mechanisms at play to guard against people who might go against your core beliefs or judgments. But by being able to bypass that, to get into that center stage, to be able to get past those defense mechanisms, to present this idea to David in an unbiased way, by in essence startling him, you know, not having him see this coming, that he's able to render a fair judgment. And it doesn't end there. Remember, God described David as someone who he bestowed upon him wisdom and good logic. And the word for good logic, again, was wafesla khitabi, that this is someone who had good reasoning, good argumentation. And what was interesting was the brother who had the 99 sheep, who possessed all this wealth, the other brother described that he was overpowering him in khitab, in speech, in argumentation, in reasoning. And because of this, he felt helpless, that he had to do this act in order to be able for David to render the right judgment, that he had to go through his defense mechanisms, enter his sanctuary, present this case to him in a manner that was unfamiliar. And only then could David render the right judgment and when David rendered that judgment, he had an opportunity to reflect about his own judgments. How is he behaving towards himself in the same regard? Now, I read this uh, passage thousands of times, but it wasn't until I read the Bible and I saw it in this light that, you know, maybe this lesson that we are supposed to take, it's not in the sense of how David judged regarding the 99 sheep and one sheep. It's the fact that he was able to reflect about something personal in his judgment and apply it to his own life. And this is a real sign of wisdom. Now you think about the billions of people who read the Quran. The same thing is happening to us. When we read the Quran, our guard is supposed to be down. We are able to take in this information. We are presented with this predicament as well, where we have a person with 99 sheep on one side and then an individual with a single sheep on the other. And we see the reflective process and the care that David took. But rather than thinking that that's it, do we stop and reflect about how this applies to our own life? Are we making judgments towards other that we're not applying to ourselves? Because if we're wise, we're not going to read these verses, these lessons, these judgments in the Quran and only contemplate about how they apply to other people. But we would also apply that same metric towards ourselves and our own judgments and our own personal affairs. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS app store. And if you like the podcast, please share with others, leave us a review. And until next time, peace and God bless.